Man, it's good stuff. I had um, just want to point out something today before we continue uh, in our study of First Timothy, uh, because God has given us a word, and we've been—I've uh, been faithfully trying to apply this word to my own life. I know you have been too, and um, I, I know the word has been uh, has been strong. Uh, compared to a lot of the things that God normally gives me to preach in ways that I'm communicating it. So um, so let me take just a second to say some things to you guys regarding this. Uh, and just the song today is a great, great lyric to apply. You know, God's given us a word out of Luke 8 for the body. That's been a hard word to receive. It's been, uh, it was surprising to me, I shared that with you guys, that I really didn't, I didn't see this, but if God says it, and he says it over and over again, which he's done, it's my role as a pastor to bring it out. And it is that we haven't been careful about how we hear. That we've, we've been distracted, we've been, uh, whatever it is, I mean, it's, it, a number of you have expressed it in different ways, uh, which is exciting to me because I know you're fleshing it out. Um, that that this has been true, that whatever it is, like, like you know, um, a number of, number of people have said just the distractions of, you know, uh, of Jeff walking down the aisle, for instance. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, what, what goes on around you, Vis- you know, visual things that happen uh, when the word is being spoken are being read. Uh, in your quiet time, just Kerry uh, was telling me this morning some things that God showed him this week in, in relation to his quiet time, just about how, you know, how you, the busyness of life and things and, and, and t- weariness, you know, being physically tired, from having so much going on and getting up in the morning and trying to to focus, you know, just that, just the weariness of the physical aspect of of your, you know, what, what life dishes out to you. Uh, we talked this morning, sang this morning about uh, about trials and problems and, and what happens when those things come in. Uh, and so God's given us a word that we need to be careful how we hear. Everybody got that? Say, oh, yeah. Be careful how you hear. Now, I don't know what all that means for you, but I think it's going to be specific to each one of us. And it is a word for our body. So I've, I've communicated that in ways that have been, you know, the way that I received it, uh, both personally the way I had to take it from God to say, no, this is you, and then also to be able to say that to you guys. And last week, you know, really firm about that, that this is not a something that we can neglect. If we're going to move on with God uh, in, in uh, in stride with God, let me just say that, then we need, to, we need to correct those things. And each one of you is responsible for correcting that in your own life. But I also want to say this, because I know what it sounds like. I know when I throw something out, first of all, that's different than, uh, you know, I say all the time things like, be, don't be guilty, be, in, be what? Inspired. Okay, don't be guilty, don't feel guilty, but, but feel inspired. Don't I know what the enemy does with that. And so I just want to remind you guys of what we were saying this morning. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Right? We, it's his righteousness in us. We are serving a God of grace who's looking down at us, and he is going to accomplish what he's challenging us to do. I'm not saying go out and do this in your own power. But I am saying we need to give attention to it, Right? And, and so there's, no, there's not a different message that we're saying today or that God's been speaking to us. The message is the same. It's just let's work out what he's worked in. God has already worked into you the power and the desire 
to walk with him. And so rather than just hearing messages, you do whatever you got to do to make sure that, that you're plugged in. Rather than just reading the scripture, rather than just, you know, having a men's prayer group where we're reading, uh, you know, our, our women's prayer group where we're reading, let's, when we read our life group, you know, let's take the time to set up, everybody get ready, let's get our hearts ready, let's get the scripture in front of us, let's read, and each one of us take the time to be careful how we hear, okay? And then in life, as we go through our days, practice being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting throughout the day in addition to the word that you read when you sit down and read scripture. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's prompting and, and act. But the issue is we're hearing most of us are hearing and we're, we're understanding, but we're not acting. So I don't want you to be discouraged. I want you to be encouraged that God didn't give us a challenge that we can't accomplish with his power. He, he is going to do this work in you. Uh, it's, the question is, do you want it to happen now or do you want to just w- wait a few years? And, uh, and, and I would recommend let's do it now. All right. This is a word that God has for our, for our body. So we're going to get back into First uh, Timothy chapter 3. Why did God interrupt us in the middle of this study? I think it's because we've been covering a lot of words, a lot of study, uh, you know, two to three words at a time in, in chapter 3 of, of 1 Timothy. And, uh, and so it's been tedious, and it's been uh, academic, and, it, it's, if, and we're not applying these things. And I don't know why you're not. Again, you might be writing this off to say, well, I don't aspire to be an elder, so this doesn't apply to me. No, Paul told us at the beginning of this series that the reason why he's saying these things is because he, he might not be able to be with them at Ephesus. He might not be able to make it to their church. And he wants them to know, the, all the people to know, how they should behave in the household of God. Not the church building, but the church body. How should we operate as children of God? And so, uh, so we need to pay attention to that. Everybody. This word today is for everybody. And, uh, and, and I, I want to encourage you to take this personally. All right. I also want to remind you of one thing from last week, and I believe this is a, a good correction for, for the way some of us are listening. All right. We are going to be having some new elders, uh, you know, as God leads, and that's part of the reason why God has us going through this study. But I want, I want you to understand that, that even for, for those uh, who are going to be elders, the, the passage that we're reading says, if any of you, it started out by saying, if any of you aspires to the position of elder or overseer, he must. And then off it goes. So this is not for us to look at all the people in the church and judge everyone. This is for us to look inward. It's saying, if you aspire, that is, if you're reaching with everything that you are toward God and you want to know him, and you want to be like Christ, if that's in your heart to do, and you're, that's what you want to do, then here's some things that, that ought to make sense to you. These are things that you should be striving for. And Satan's real good about giving us, you know, if we, if we conquer one thing, then we feel good about ourselves, and we don't even address the others. When I was growing up, as long as you didn't drink and smoke and dance, uh, you were a good Christian. <laughs> But, you know, that, and so we leave everything else out that the Bible says. And, man, I was a horrible, horrible person, you know, and I didn't understand that. You, you respond to, you pursue God and godliness and being like Christ. It's in my heart now, and I hope it's in yours too. Uh, I can't do that for you, but God wants to do that for you. 
So we're going to pick up in verse 6 today, uh, 1 Timothy 3, and uh, verses 6 and 7. We ought to be able to cover these today, all right? God permits. All right, so y'all ready to listen well? All right, here we go. Verse 6, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All right, this is an interesting one, uh, these two, and because in both of these, he says there's, there's an issue if you don't apply these, and that is that these are snares in ways of, of the devil getting control, of moving in and taking uh, ground in your life. So if you're really wanting to pursue God, uh, that's your goal. You don't want to take steps back. You don't want the enemy to sneak in like, he, like the Bible says he does, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You don't want him to come in and steal away the joy that God has for your life and, and the, the fulfillment that comes from being obedient in these ways. So this is two specific ones that for whatever reason, Paul tells Timothy, uh, he warns them in that way. Now, let me say this before we move, uh, move on to talk about not being a recent convert. <clears throat> recent convert literally means a young plant, not a young plant or a novice. Uh, so, so Paul is saying that an elder, a person who, who aspires to be an elder, uh, should not be a young plant or a novice in his Christian faith. Now, this was specifically a word for the church at Ephesus. And I'm going to tell you why I think that's, that's important. Uh, and, and God gave us this in two different ways through the same author, Paul, in, in to, as he spoke to two different churches. If you go to, to uh, Titus, uh, you, you'll read these same char- kinds of characteristics. Uh, Paul is telling Titus, the same kind of message, giving the same kind of message um, to Titus as he was giving to Timothy here. He said, but Titus is dealing with a different church. Titus is dealing with a very young church. Uh, and, 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 he's, and the people that are there are new converts. There's a lot of new converts there. And so that's not the case in Ephesus. So what does that mean? It means, number one, that all of these qualifications... Uh, it makes sense if a man aspires to be a uh, God-fearing, uh, living like God, if he you know, aspires to be that person. Uh, all of these characteristics are true, and we take nothing away from that. But these are not clearly a list of rules and regulations that Paul came up with that said that elders in every church should have all these things. Okay, That just affirms the fact that it's not a list of characteristics that every elder should have all of these in his life. All right? Because there, there's the, Paul, Paul, God looks at every situation. God's looking at our church right now. He looks at this body, and I, I can say that, you know, we have a, a I mean, you, a young congregation in comparison to the rest of the world, <laughs> really, but definitely in comparison to churches in our area. Uh, both of our churches are very young. Uh, the, the median age is probably late 20s in our churches. That's different. And I want you to not dis- exclude yourself from being a leader and being a person who can have things together. Because I think a lot of times what happens is we, we kind of, at your people at your age, traditionally, in, in Baptist churches anyway that I've been in, write themselves off as leaders. They say, well, you know, when we're old, 
And we put a lot of money into the church, and, you know, we we got gray hair and a lot of experience and, and solid jobs and kids growing up. Then we can be elders. It's not what he's saying. And I want us to understand that, that you can't exclude yourself from taking these qualifications and putting them into your life uh, because you're a new convert. Matter of fact, I can say this with confidence. I've never in 30, however many, five, I think, years of 30, whatever it is, seven years of ministry now, I've never been in a, in a body of believers, of young believers that were, were so mature spiritually. You guys are going after God. And, and I've never seen people your age go after God the way that you are. And, and so I would just say, you know, here's what I can say in my uh, 30 years of ministry. As I look across all the people and the faces in uh, uh, all those years of ministry, this is what I can say. You guys are some of you newer converts who came out of no, no kind of religion in a religious background, some of you. We have atheists who were converted in our church, okay, who, who are here and, and, and are leaders. You have more spiritual depth than some of the oldest saints that I've ever seen in churches that I, grew, that I served before. Y'all get that? So don't write yourself off. I'm telling you, it's, there's, you know, we, I, I think we have through the years tried to say, well, an elder is somebody that's, you know, they're the ones that built the church building. They're the ones that, you know, deserve the right to be in leadership because they give a lot of money to the church. And not true. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying that you shouldn't be a novice. If you're in a church where there are people that are spiritually mature, that have served the body, that, that, that are, are growing in Christ, that really do have a deep relationship with God, that do walk in the patterns of the words that God's given to the body to walk in, if you have those men, if, they're, if they've been at it a while and they're, they're, they're saints that have been serving a while, that's who you, wanna, that's who you want to be elders. All right, if that exists in your church, then you shouldn't be putting a new convert into, into, uh, into a position as elder. Okay, it doesn't, doesn't exclude you, but it does say that if there are others that have, have done more life, they're not a novice in regard to life. They've had a lot of experiences of, of trying to follow God, uh, and, and they've, they have made a lot of mistakes, uh, and, they've, and they've had a lot of successes, and they've learned a lot of lessons. Those would be the ones that should be in an eldership in, in a church like Ephesus, okay? So we can't take, take the word out of Ephesus. It was specifically for them. So for us, I believe that's true here. Um, another, a better definition, or one, one of the commentaries that I read uh, said this, said the young convert has not yet been disciplined and matured by afflictions and temptations, and I think that's accurate. Not that you all haven't had afflictions and temptations, you have. But to pursue God for years, to really go after God for years, to, to abide in Christ for years, and to be working in that cycle, and, and to face temptations and to face troubles for years is, a lot, is, is the kind of person you want in leadership. Uh, this this week, as I was meeting one on one with a couple of different men, uh, this, because this was fresh for me, I thought that's really all I have to offer. I'm not any better than anybody. I'm not I'm not uh, you know a, a better Christian than anyone in this in this church. I just have had a whole lot more experiences. We were talking this morning about 
just in the, just in abiding in Christ, just as God, what God has taught us through about abiding in Christ. I mean, I've been walking in this in this pattern for years. God gave me this revelation a lot of years ago, of just you know hearing God's voice and obeying what He says. But just hearing God, I know that there are patterns that I've not only seen in my own life, but I've seen in just about everybody that I've tried to teach how to hear God. And that is that we get all about, and some of you will immediately relate to this, that we're, we're all about initially, we're, man, we're in the scriptures, we're in the devotional, we're looking, we're asking questions, God's answering, we're doing what he says, and then boom, here comes this beautiful experience where we learn, you know, we, we see God work. Well, it's not long, you know, oh, sometimes it is, but a year or two years maybe of, of doing life that way, and then if you're not careful, you'll get bound to that process. Like, you'll be like, well, I, didn't, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to my devotional today, so I can't, do the, I can't make a decision yet. And that's good, but that's a pattern, okay? It, I think it's, there, there's a step. You move from one step to the next. Does God still speak to me through Scripture, specifically things? Yes. Do I still ask questions? Yes. Write them down. God still answers that way. But, but I've learned through the years that God speaks in other ways, too. That God will, I'm learning the voice of God. I'm learning what he's about and how to walk through life. Uh, as his child well you know that takes years to to experience and some of you are going through that now some of you have already been past that uh, to the point where you're trusting the spirit's leadership more you're trusting your heart where God just you know that God you know what he's about because you've been walking with him for years and and you trust the spirit's leadership in your life and when when you walk outside of God's will all of a sudden you feel that he's like okay I know that's not right it's more of a check in that way than, than you walking in disobedience and every now and then you, God speaks to you and you know, oh, I'm walking in disobedience. So you see that pattern happening in your life. Well, that's something that just years have taught me. Does that mean that a guy who understands how to walk with God is not ready to be an elder? Not, no. I mean, there are some churches where if you just know that, you would be the best elder they, they had. And God might would call you to be one. Uh, so it is, it does have something to, to do with just, you know, having, having lived some life as a believer and having not just lived life, but having lived it and faced temptations and problems, afflictions, struggles, relationship problems, all the things that, that life brings. Uh, so going back to Luke 8, again, that we've been talking about, we want all of our members, and especially our elders, to be fertile soil for the word. That is, we want our elders to be men who hear God's word and apply it. Hear God's word, they hear well. You know, they listen well. They're, they're disciplined in their time with God. They're, they're, when they're in a message and they're, they're listening to the sermon today, they're taking notes. They're, they're applying what God is saying. They're, they're, up, they're lining themselves up and saying you know, their desire is, God, drop, drop the plumb line in my life and tell me what's wrong with me. Tell me how I can know you better. I want that. And their focus is knowing God, not just the experience that God is going to give them by, through obedience. That's what we want elders to be, but that's what we all want to be, right? So, so again, just applying what God said in Luke 8, we want our elders, we want all of us need to be fertile soil. Now, um, so don't rule yourself out if you're a new convert. Uh, or this new disciple, uh, just continue pursuing God. And, and in my, my mind, ultimately, that's going to lead 
to a place where you are a leader in this body. All right. Let's see if there's anything else on that. Okay, so, so Paul's warning, uh, Paul's warning is that new converts should avoid this. Um, and, and the reason, or we should avoid new con- converts, and the reason that he gives it, gives there, he says, is because uh, there's a good chance that uh, they might get puffed up. And being puffed up literally means raising a smokescreen. In other words, I'm a new, I'm a new believer. I, ha- I don't have a lot of experience with God in life, but because I've been placed in leadership, I feel like I have to put the smokescreen up that says, I got it, you know, I, I get it. Oh, yeah, I knew that, you know. You hear a verse of Scripture for the first time, and they can feel like, oh, I'm supposed to know that. Yeah, that's in somewhere in um, Galatians, I think, chapter 6. Or, yeah, but I, I, I've read it, I know. You know, it's that smokescreen kind of thing, and, and they feel like they can't be authentic. You know, they can't, they can't really be themselves, and that's, that's not good, man. The first, first thing you need to get comfortable being among God's people in the household of faith is yourself. Be where you are uh, first. We need to be real and authentic. And an elder needs to have gotten comfortable uh, living in the reality of, of his weaknesses under grace. Y'all get that? You know, all of us as, as believers, we need to get comfortable living in the reality of our weaknesses. Now, it doesn't mean keeping them there. It doesn't mean getting comfortable with them staying there. But we need to get, be real about where we are. Can I be straight with everybody today? All right. I really feel like this is what, this is a problem for some of us. I, I really feel like that, and I, it's been a problem for me for a lot of years. But I think if I, I think a big problem is that you're trying to portray something that you're not. You, you and in some cases, I have a, 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 a brother who who has a master's degree from the seminary, has served as a pastor. Right now, I have a brother who doesn't know who he is. And he's, he's not in the ministry right now. He is pursuing God to find out who am I really. Look, there are some pastors, myself included, who will spend, uh, who spent years never discovering who they really are and never really asking the question, if nobody else was looking at me and expecting me to act a certain way, you know, expecting me to be this, whoever it is the pastor's always been in a church, then who would I be? And they've got to kind of lie to themselves in order to feel good about how they've lived their lives because they never have been themselves. You know, the gathering places give me the opportunity to be myself, and I, I can't tell you how important that is for me as an elder to be able to be myself uh, because most of my ministry, what I had to do is, is, is be puffed up to act like I got it to look better than the person next to me, to make everybody think I got it together and, and learn enough tricks and put them in my bag to be able to open them up when I need to to, to prove that I'm the man. You know, so a new convert, that's one of the dangers. And, and why is it a snare of the devil? Here's why. Well, why did the devil fall from heaven? Why did God cast him out of heaven? What was it? It's because of pride. He was puffed up. And so that's significant. Man, pride is, a, pride is where all of us fall. Pride is what's killing the church today, man, it's what's, and it's killing us. The degree to which we have pride in our lives, each one of us individually, uh, is the degree to which we are sick as a body. 
Man, pride is the source of almost every problem in the body. If you and I were to talk and I was to ask you, what's the number one problem? What would you say? Don't say it out loud, but get it in your head. What's your number one problem in your faith? If you were to tell me, I promise you, almost 90% of the time it's going to be the source of that is going to be pride. It's going to be a false perception of who you are or an uh, unwillingness to see your weaknesses uh, as they are before God and before your fellow brothers. So, church, listen. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure you understood that when we get a hard word from God to hear correctly, that you don't take that personally and say, well, we, I got it, man. I'm already doing that. Why is he saying that? Okay, because we need to, it's okay. Under God's grace, it's okay for us to be weak and be real. And, and, uh, and, and we all need to ask God, God, where am I really? Am I raising a smoke screen? Uh, are people really seeing me for who I am? I, would y'all disagree with this or agree that probably one of the best benefits of this body has been that we get to be ourselves? I mean, like I t- here's what I see. I see people being real. They're willing to share their weaknesses and their, their, their struggles. We're not, we're not putting, a, putting on a, 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 a mask. You know, and that's the biggest problem in churches today. So we need to recognize that. And I would just encourage you, no more smoke screens. Man, let's be ourselves. And if you're a new convert, be a new convert. That's who you are. Don't fall into the condemnation of the devil. Uh, because, man, that's, that's rising up, trying to get up into leadership before God's putting you there. And taking a role as a leader when you're not supposed to be there is, is, a, is a big issue. Uh, I mean, this thought came to mind this week. You know how old Hitler was when he, when he, uh, when he rose to authority? As the ruler of Germany, 43 years old. And he rose up in the ranks much younger than that. I mean, but to be able to be the leader and place in leadership, I mean, we're all pretty clear about what kind of leadership he gave, right? That's what being puffed up or getting in, rising to a place of position before you're ready for that. So we don't want that in the body of Christ. And so I hope you're hearing all of that. We need to, we need to be not exclude ourselves from continuing to pursue God and grow and move towards leadership. And some of you will get there a whole lot quicker than others just because you'll never give up the pursuit. You're, you're determined to know God and to be obedient to get there. Uh, so take that and let that be applied. So Luke chapter 8, verse 15. As for that, in the good soil, there are those who hearing the word, they are those who, hearing the word, hold, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So I encourage you, hold it in a good and honest heart. Honest being, be real about where you are. Good heart being, yes, I, I am pursuing God. And do it. Go after God. Let that word bear fruit in your life over time. All right, First Timothy 3, 7, the second one. He says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. All right, I'm going to pause for a second and, and ask you, are you awake? Say, oh, yeah. All right, is your spirit ready for, for one more word? All right, because this is a good word. Man, I'm excited about what the Lord has shown me this week about this particular word. He says we should be well thought of, all of us should be well thought of by outsiders. 
well thought of. That which is said about a person on the basis of an evaluation of the person's conduct by definition. Reputation. All right. That which is said about a person on the basis of an evaluation of the person's conduct. All right. Now we're talking about somebody's looking at me, and when, there's, when they make a blanket statement about what I am, I need to be well thought of. People need to think well of me. Uh, I need to have a good testimony. My life needs to be spo- spoken well of. All right. So uh, that idea is something that uh, Paul received regarding Timothy. When Paul called Timothy to, to, uh, to join him in ministry, uh, in Acts chapter 16, uh, when, when Paul evaluates, when people evaluated the whole of Timothy's life, this is what they said. It says, Paul came to Derb and to Lystra, verses 1 and 2. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who, had, who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. Verse 2. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. All right? People were speaking well. He had a good testimony. Paul chose Timothy to, to serve with him because when he started talking to people uh, in Derb and Lystra, everybody was talking about Timothy. Uh, so so th- that's what we need. But who, who is it that's looking at us? Who is it that he says that we need to have uh, be well thought of by? Outsiders. You know who the outsiders were? In the Jewish community, who were the outsiders? Gentiles, but it was, but it was particularly unconverted Gentiles because Paul's talking to the church. We, you need to be well thought of by the lost and wandering people out there, the unconverted Gentiles. You need to be well thought of by those people. Now, I, I don't know how you grew up, but I grew up thinking of uh, being preached to all the time about how I needed to have a good testimony, uh, in, in the, and it was a good testimony in the face of believers. That believers are the ones that really need to look at me and say, well, you're doing a good job. And you think about all the things that you were told not to do growing up uh, that are, may or may not be biblical, you know. And, and why did they say that? It's because people in the church were offended. It wasn't because people outside the church were offended. We, we spent a whole lot of time, I believe, worrying about people in the body. Now, should we do it? Yes, we talked about that already. But I think Paul is saying to us here that we need to, we need to, to be careful about how we speak and live in front of people that are not believers. We need to get our minds focused on the, on the empty seats here that we want God to put a, an unconverted person in instead of another uh, person from somebody else's church. Y'all with me? What, we need to start focusing on them. We need to start asking ourselves, what's our testimony look like with them? Are they looking at us and saying, wow, man, your, your, your uh, attitude and your, you, you are an excellent person. Are they looking at us and saying that? Ask yourself this question before, before I dive into this. When you think about the people in this community, that are not believers. If you were to ask them, what do you think about Christians? What would they say? Don't say it out loud. Just think. Think about it. And be honest with yourself. It's okay. Be real about, about what people would say. 
uh, now we live in a community that's that's very religious. Okay, so we have a lot of a lot of religious influence and the things that come along with that. But but what would people who are not believers say about the body? I can tell you what they say. Because for the first time in my life, for the last seven, eight years, I've been building relationships with people that are not believers and maintaining those relationships. Uh, and and they're, I have great friends that are not believers that I'm praying one day God will bring to himself. I'm praying now with more passion than I ever have that God would bring those people to himself. But I know what they're saying. They feel condemnation. They feel judgment. Uh, they feel like we're, we're religious bigots. They feel like we're intolerant. They feel like we live our lives by a list of uh, stupid rules and regulations. This, I'm not saying any of this is true. I might say it later, but I'm not saying it at this point. But I am saying this is what they feel. You want to ask unbelievers what they think? Now, here's what the attitude would be normally when, when, it, when I would say something like that. Well, that's because they're, they just don't understand. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying there, we need to have consider carefully how we're thought of by people who are not believers. That's what he's saying. And that we need to be well thought of by them. Some other passages uh, in Colossians, Paul deals with this also. He says in verse 5 of Colossians chapter 4, 5 and 6, Easy one to remember, by the way, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. If you want to come back to this one this week to, to read again. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of, time, of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So what's, what's Paul saying here? He says, first of all, he says, use your time wisely. Make the best use of your time in the way that you walk toward outsiders. Literally, it says that that means to buy up every opportunity, making the best use of time. Or redeeming the time is another translation that uh, reads it. It's, it's buying, the, buying up the opportunity. I've got an opportunity to live my life in front of unconverted people, and I need to buy up that opportunity. Take every opportunity you can when you're in front of unbelievers, take that opportunity and buy it up. That means pay attention to it. If you spend your money, you're paying attention to that. If you spend enough of your money on something, you buy something, that's going to have the focus of your attention. Not only in the moment, but definitely in the moment. But it's going to have your attention for as long as you think the value of that thing is worth. Buy up the time that you have in the face of unbelievers. All right? Why? He says, what do we do? He says, uh, we need to let our speech be full of grace, not condemnation. Let your speech be full of grace. If you were to poll people, like, like I said, what they would say they believe about Christ, is, uh, I mean about the church, about Christians, is that we're, we are judgmental and condemning. We need to buy up the time we have with believers in this town to make a difference in that. We need to buy up that time and let our speech be seasoned with salt. We need to let our speech uh, be, be given in such a way that um, it's spoken in such a way that it makes it palatable. It makes well, the way we live our lives, and it makes God palatable to them. 
and you know, salt is seasoning, and it has a it has a purpose to make the food more palatable. And we need to let our 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 speech be that. And I just I just when I when I evaluated this past week, and I've been thinking about, you know, what what does the people on the street who are not believers think about Christians and about uh, about me particularly? Um, I know that that the church as a whole that believers do not do not look well upon us. We are not a good picture of who God is. And, and, you know, the whole Old Testament was God dealing with Israel because they were not a good picture of who God was. I mean, God, all the prophets talk, say basically the same thing. They said, you've defamed my name among the nations because you've been so disobedient. I'm constantly having to punish you. And nobody gets to see what a good life looks like. You know, nobody gets to see what a life looks like when you let God be in control. And we want elders, elders need to be that, but all of us do. We need to, to let our speech be seasoned with salt. So do we care about political correctness? Yes, we do. Are we going to adjust our lives to political correctness? As God's word allows us to. But we are going to adjust our speech. Look, that's easy. To just not say things that are offensive all the time. It doesn't mean that you can't ever say things that are offensive. Paul makes that clear too. And sometimes the word that you have to speak is going to be offensive. But we need to do the best that we can. We need to buy up as much time in front of non-believers to, to speak things that communicate the grace of God to them. Are y'all getting this? Man, that, sh- that, that should hit all of us in the way that we speak. And an elder needs to be one of those. Now, what I found to be true, again, in the churches that I've served has been that people in leadership, particularly in churches, because a lot of what they do is puffed up, it's not reality, is that they're the harshest people. They're the most condemning people. The one that, that goes to church all the time has, a, has, has earned the right to be able to tell everybody else how sorry they are. <laughs> that's what I was, right? When you're, in the, when you're following a list of the rules and you're the one that's the best at following the rules, you can look down on everybody else. And so there's some big changes that need to happen in the body of Christ in regard to that. Peter says it this way in verse 11 and 12 of First uh, Peter 2. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and then glorify God on the day of visitation. So Paul's, uh, Peter is saying, don't just check your words. Don't just check the way you speak to people who are not believers, but also be careful about how you live your lives. Live your lives in such a way that they will honor God, even though they might accuse Christians all over this town of being judgmental, of being hateful, of, of being self-centered and all the other things, bigots and all the things that Christians are called. And although some of that may be accurate, you live your life in such a way. Let them see in your conduct that you're a different person. Let them look at your life and say, wow, you know, I, Christians are terrible, but you're not like one of them, Right? The Christians in this town may be bad, but, you know, the best testimony that anybody that's not a believer has ever given me is that, but you're not like them. <laughs> uh, that's sad, but true. And I, I want my non-believing friends to say, man, we see in your conduct, we see you loving, caring, patient, giving. Um, we, we see sacrifice in your life. We see you using your time to bless people that no one else is blessing, whatever it is. But our conduct... 
also needs to exemplify Christ to those people that are outside the church. So I was glad that, that Peter added that. So good question. Does your life show? Uh, does it show Christ? And I would say in two ways. Number one, does your life show that you, you are, that you, even though you call yourself a believer, does your life show, your conduct show, that your passion is for the things of the flesh? Which Paul or Peter addresses. Does your life show, when people look at you and you say, I'm a believer, does your life show that you're still all about pleasing your flesh? Secondly, does your life show that you're all about being a spiritual religious Pharisee? Does your life, when people look at you, they see you constantly judging, constantly lifting yourself up, being pious? So those are two things. And I think uh, you'll remember in the, in the study that we had earlier this year how Paul made that point uh, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, the same kind of idea that we need to be careful about how we live. We need to be careful about what our conduct looks like in front of unbelievers. Now, I'm not saying compromise. Here's the sweet thing. If we will just live according to how the Holy Spirit leads us and we will pursue God with passion, and ask God to guide our daily lives and respond when God speaks to us, and we start living our lives that way, we will automatically do two things. Number one, our speech will be great. Number two, our lives, our conduct will be the right kind of conduct. Unfortunately, we're not that, right? We're not all applying that. And so you don't have to worry about uh, keeping your eyes on your life and on how bad you are, how many times you fail. Don't do that. It's counterproductive. Instead, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on him and his grace toward you. Keep your eyes on his character. And keep your eyes on, God, what do you, what do you want from me today? And, and what are you asking me to do? All right, so keeping our words and our action in check. And that's, that's easy compared to another level that Paul gives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, and I'll close with this one, but, but y'all, will y'all grab this and, and, and hear it and apply it? Say, oh, yeah. Okay, listen, and then we'll be done. Paul says this in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Now, what does he mean by that? Paul says, first of all, I'm free from all. I don't have to live according to the way the Pharisees tell me to live. I don't have to live according to the way other disciples tell me to live. I'm responsible to one person. I'm, I'm responsible to God for how I live. And, and that's it. There, there are no other additions to that. But Paul says, even though I'm free, I don't have to live like a Jew anymore. I don't have to live in the passions of the flesh anymore. I don't have to live like a Gentile uh, and, and make a big deal out of it. But here's what he says. Though I'm free of it, I have made myself a servant of every kind of person in order that I might win some. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, verse 20, in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. We're doing that as a body. God's told us to stay committed or stay connected, rather, to Southern Baptists. We are a Southern Baptist church. Uh, why? One of the main reasons is because like some of you, 
There are a number of people in the Southern Baptist Convention and part of our churches that don't have a relationship with God. And they're wandering around. And they, and they, and they, they know that they made a decision when they were a child. They walked an aisle. They were baptized. And they got in the church until they got on their own. And then they, now they're questioning, hey, do I, have I ever really come to God? We have an answer. We're staying connected in order that we might win some. Right? Or that we might bring some people out of bondage, even that are already believers that are in bondage to legalism. Bring them out of that and help them to see that there's a different life. Man, there's a life of freedom and, and we can enjoy God and experience the joy of the Lord in our daily lives. So we stay connected. And so that's a little bit harder than just, you know, checking your actions and, and checking your words. But we also need to think, how can I become to, to religious people? How can I become what I need to to them? in order that I might be able to bring them out and help them to encounter and experience God. Verse 21, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. All right, so now he's saying to the Gentiles, to the pagans, he became in some ways like them. Now, I'm not going to define this for you. All right, you'll have to define it for yourself. And I would just say, ask the Lord, because this is a serious, again, it's not as easy as just saying, watch what you say, make sure your conduct is good. But here's a question of, in, in front of people who are not believers in this town, what do I need to change about my conduct? What do I need to get comfortable with in front of them so that I can win them? And I think there's some great answers to that question. I mean, uh, Talitha and I and our own uh, family have figured out some of those things. You know, we know in front of some of our unbelieving friends that there are certain things that we need to do with them and be with them in order to, to win some of them. And, and we ask God, and we're careful to make sure that God is leading those things that we do. But we need to do that, all right, because we need to be careful. We need to be well thought of by outsiders, and that's one of the things that Paul, again, here gives a little more definition to. To the weak, we become weak, that, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I may save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in, the, in its blessings. So here's, let's just summarize that little, little statement. The question is, what is your passion? Some of you heard what I said just a minute ago and you thought, oh, good, man, I'm going to start, uh, you know, living it up in front of my pagan friends so that they can say, hey, I'm one of you, see? And you're thinking that. And you're thinking, good for me. Well, if that's what you're thinking, I would question two things. Number one is, is the Holy Spirit in your life? Because, man, I can't do anything outside of God's will with a, with a pagan that he doesn't convict me about. That's wrong. I get immediately, immediately I get convicted if it's wrong. Uh, but then second of all, I can just say, you're not, this is what Paul says. He says, I'm, I'll do anything to get the gospel into the lives of people that are not, that have no knowledge of God or who've been, who've been burned by the church or, or who have this false perception of who God is. I'll do anything that I can. God, know my heart. Whatever it is that you can show me to do, I'll do it. And God's not going to show me something that's contrary to his word. So I'm, I need to be pursuing that. I need to be asking God, God, what will help me 
to be able to, to have these people be a part of the community of believers that we can share with them in the blessings of, of the gospel community. So an elder needs to be well thought of by outsiders for the sake of reaching them with the gospel. And we all need that in our lives. Now, but also, he closes with this. He says, that he may not fall into the disgrace in the devil's snare. I love what uh, Weiss' word study said about this. He describes it in an interesting and understandable way. I want to read this to you. He said, there's something blameworthy in a man's character if the consensus of outside opinion be, favorable, be unfavorable to him. Let me read that again. Y'all ready? There's something blameworthy in a man's character if the consensus of outside opinion be unfavorable to him no matter how much he may be admired and respected by his own party. One cannot safely assume when we are uh, in antagonism to the world that because we are Christians, we are absolutely in the right and the world wholly wrong. Thus, to defy public opinion in a superior spirit may not only bring discredit or reproach on oneself and on the church, but also catch us in the devil's snare. Namely, a supposition that because the world condemns a certain course of action, that that action is therefore right and the world's verdict may be safely set aside. What's he saying? He's saying, first of all, there's certainly times when we need to make a stand against the world. Don't mistake that. There are certainly times when we need to make a stand against the, or take a stand against the world. We are absolutely in opposition to and biblically supported in uh, not being racist, for instance. And we will take a stand against anybody who is, who treats someone differently uh, because of their race or their culture. We're against that. We will always be against that. Uh, So there's certainly times when we need to make a stand against the world, and we will do that. But we also need to remember that there are convictions that we have that are not for the world and in some cases are not from the Lord. We spoke a few weeks ago about not being drunk with wine and we took the time to go through what does the Bible say about wine and about alcohol. And, and, and what has been the stance of some of us has been a, a stance that we grew up with and we have uh, not only opposed, but we have uh, offended people in the culture for something that God's word doesn't even say. No, not, not get drunk, he does. If you missed that sermon, you need to go back and listen to it. But there are things that God's word doesn't say that we take stands for. Uh, there, there are things that we are opposed to because we are reacting against something that the world, that the culture has done, that Christians have participated in. And we didn't dance growing up because the only place you could dance was in a dance hall. And there was a lot of stuff going on in a dance hall that was not right. It was not a good place to be, right? The kind of stuff that was going on at that time. But now dancing is wrong for Baptists, or has been for years. I think it started coming back in. <laughs> Most of our Baptist weddings, we've got a little dancing going on. Uh, so, you know, you, you understand that. We talked about that last week. But, but we need to recognize that, that there are some things that, that what's happening is Satan is getting a hold of us, and he's making, we're falling into disgrace and the devil's snare by holding on to things that God's word never gave us to do. And there are things that are offending people. And, and, and so that's kind of the difference that he's talking about. That just because 
uh, people do it and people in our party have always done it doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. And when we're asking the question, what can I become to the world in order to win some? And that's our goal. We, we ought not be surprised that God's going to change some of those things and call us in to check on some of those things. And then thirdly, if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves in the snare of the devil that leads us to an intolerant, to become intolerant religious bigots who are not only despised by the world, but in opposition even to the Lord's purpose. I hope you can receive that. Let me say it again, and then we'll close. If we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves in the snare of the devil that leads us as believers to be intolerant religious bigots who are not only despised by the world, but are in opposition to the Lord's purposes. So check yourself. Ask yourself the questions. Let this fall in your life and ask, have I, has I, have I become that person? Let's not assume that if the world doesn't like it, it's because they're wrong and we're right. It's not always true. All right. I want to ask you to bow your heads and listen. I'm going to read an excerpt from this morning's utmost that applies to what we're talking about. I hope that this will find a place in your heart. That you'll see that even though, you know, that this is a part of my reading this morning is a confirmation that God has a word for us. Just listen to this. Let it sink into your heart. The characteristic of a disciple is not, is not that he does good things, but that he is, a, he is good in his motives, having been made good by the supernatural grace of God. The only thing that exceeds right doing is right being. Jesus Christ came to place within anyone who would let him a new heredity that would have a righteous a righteousness exceeding that of the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus said, if you are my disciple, you must be right, not only in your actions, but also in your motives, your aspirations, and in the deep recesses of the thoughts of your mind. Your motives must be so pure that God Almighty can see nothing to rebuke. Who can stand in the eternal light of God and have nothing for him to rebuke? Only the Son of God. And Jesus Christ claims that through his redemption, he can place within anyone, within anyone, his own nature and make that person as pure and as simple as a child. The purity that God demands is impossible unless I can be remade within. And that is exactly what Jesus has undertaken to do through his redemption. So, Father, today, as we have a time of meditation and prayer and worship, I ask that you would make these things real to us today, God, that you would challenge, that you have challenged our hearts and that we would take your word and, Lord, we would respond to it in the way that you've been challenging us, that, is a, that it would fall on good soil, that we would hear it and do it, that we'd be careful how we heard today. And, Father, that that we would not uh, be puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation, condemnation of the devil, uh, God, but that we would be well thought of by outsiders and that we would obey you and you alone, Father, not, uh, carefully not offending people, but, Lord, with the purpose of coming, of leading people to the truth of the gospel. Lord, we know it. We're experiencing it now. 
just let it impact our lives in such a way that it becomes w- the way we speak. It affects the way we speak. It affects the way we live. And that people will be drawn to you. That is your plan for our body. And God, we accept that. And you know, we just pray that you will work it into us. Do it this week, God. Help us to, to recognize unbelievers around us, people that are lost, and help us to be good witnesses for you. Help us to have an excellent testimony among outsiders. We love you, God, and we praise you for this day and for, uh, for being with us and for giving us an opportunity to hear from you and then to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen.